Welcome to The Freelancer's Friend, episode 12. But overall, I spend 95% of my day writing and the business comes in automatically. So the retainers have been awesome for saving time and increasing my profitability per hour, which is important when you're a freelancer. If you want to enjoy a thriving freelance business, then learning from others with the knowledge and experience is invaluable. Our guest this time is highly successful freelance copywriter, Kenzie Wood. And in this episode, we chat about client retention and how it's a major factor in Kenzie's success, how to enjoy a reliable and consistent income by getting clients on a retainer, some great tips for freelance copywriters and tips if you write your own copy and also some good advice about getting referrals for your business. So let's get on with it. Welcome Kenzie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome and where are you calling from? So I am calling in from, um, I'm in the USA, I'm in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And I see you started kickboxing over there very recently. <laughs> yes. yes, I, uh, it's, it's unrelated to my business, but I've been on like this health journey since October and I've lost like 25 pounds. It's been incredible, but, uh, yeah, I started kickboxing and it is kicking my butt. Um, but so yeah, I do that in between work. Um, and I will say it's nice having the flexibility of a freelance schedule and trying to do active things outside of work because mm. I can go to the gym at 10 AM and I don't have to tell anybody. You know, so it's been really good yeah. for, for my mental health and my physical health. So freelancing is where it's at. Yeah, you can do that uh, sort of thing when you're freelancing and uh, exercise is definitely important for people who work at home anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I know, I'm at my standing desk right now actually, gotta get my legs stretching. All right, I think <laughs> I'm too old for a standing desk. No. <laughs> <laughs> I need a seat. <laughs> well, you gotta get a kangaroo mat so you're not standing on the hard floor. That was a, that was a game changer. But yeah, kangaroo I, mat. Yep, kangaroo mat. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What's one of those? It's like a it's like a really thick pad that you stand on. It's like plastic, but they use them in like commercial kitchens, and so you're not standing on the ground. It's squishy, and it is so comfortable. It is so comfortable. I love it. I'm standing on one right now. <laughs> okay, I'll have to look into that. Uh, now you worked as a marketing manager in several small businesses and even uh, Fortune 500 mm -hmm. enterprises, but, uh, but in the end you realized that writing was your main passion. Uh, so you began writing as a side hustle, but it led to you turning that into a full-time business about two and a half years ago. Can you say a little bit about how that happened, how you transitioned from being an employee to becoming a full-time freelancer? Of course, I'd love to. So uh, I call my career trajectory a happy accident. I know many people aspire to be a freelancer and that was never an aspiration of mine. I fell into it quite accidentally. Um, so I went to college for marketing. I had a career in marketing. I really loved it actually. I really like doing it, uh, the actual work itself. But I mean, nobody wants to sit at a desk for 40 hours a week. And it's like, man, you know, I, I wanna live my life, right? I, I wanna go do things outside of work. And um, I enjoyed what I did, but it, I don't know, I the nine to five doldrum just wasn't for me. Um, but I had started writing on the side because I went to a private university and the student loans were very expensive here in the United States. Um, so I wanted to pay them off. 
and I got onto the freelancing platform Upwork to just just see what I could get. And it was 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there. It wasn't much at first, um, but more people found me. And before I knew it, I was making $3,000 a month on the wow. side with my full-time job. That was after a lot of work, mind you, but mm -hmm. I did the math and I was like, wait mm -hmm. a minute. Mm -hmm. Proportionally for the hours I'm spending, I could make more money in less time freelancing than I do at my full-time job. Um, so I made myself a promise. I said if I could consistently hit at least 3,000 in income on the side for three months in a row, that was proof enough that this wasn't some crazy idea and that I could do it full-time. And I exceeded those goals significantly mm. because I really wanted to make it work. So I put in my two weeks notice at my job and mm. I started my business two weeks later. It was just crazy. And here we are almost three years later. And so, you know, it's, it's like a dream. It's wonderful. I'm so glad I did it. That's a really good start. Um, I don't think uh, that many people get off to such a really good start. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, your marketing background helped a lot when you initially started. Yeah, I think it did. It definitely gave me an idea of what to do and what not to do. So a lot of freelancers, it's weird. A lot of people create a website and then they would do uh, pay-per-click marketing on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or Facebook to get clients. Um, I knew not to do that because PPC is very expensive and for the clients I wanted to attract, it just didn't make sense. Um, and then email marketing, it can work for a lot of freelancers, but frankly, I just didn't have the time or the capacity. So I knew not to do those things. And I was like, I need to take a more grassroots approach, a more organic approach, um, and do more relationship marketing. So that's how I found most of my clients was just you know, contacting people on LinkedIn and finding people on freelancing platforms and basically just knowing what not to do was immensely mm. helpful in not blowing all of my money right out of the mm. gates. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, freelancers are always looking for new clients and maybe don't think as much about client retention or making sure clients remain as ongoing clients. Uh, you say client retention is the reason that your business is highly successful and uh, that having clients on a retainer is the main aspect of that. Is that right? That is correct. So what happened was I started my business and I had some clients from my side hustle days, but you need more clients than that when you're doing it full time. So. Victor, I spent probably one to two hours every day, if not more, pitching new clients. And it eats up so much time. And I was pitching to these people who only wanted a one-off project. So I would get $500 and think, woohoo, I'm doing really well. But then they wouldn't come back. They only needed just someone to write a one-off report. And I realized because I was going after people like that, I had no regular source of income. I had no idea what I would make this month. I had mm -hmm. to go out and hunt down new clients if I wanted to make money. And uh, I tracked my time. I, you know, you can use any free time tracking software. I like to use Timeular. So I used that to track my time. And I realized how much time I was wasting pitching people. And I thought, I got into this to you know, actually do the writing. Why am I doing so much pitching? I'm not doing what I want to do. 
So that's when I shifted my focus to focus on retaining people and going after clients who wanted a long-term relationship. And when I did that, I basically spend no time pitching today, maybe 10 to 15 minutes just to check up on some of my usual spots, some of my mm. normal clients. Um, but overall, I spend 95% of my day writing and the business comes in automatically. So the retainers have been awesome for saving time and increasing my profitability per hour, which is important when you're a freelancer. Of course. Uh, now, just in case the listener doesn't know that, uh, what a retainer is, it's mm -hmm. um, it's basically where the client kind of reserves your time on a monthly or a regular basis so that uh, you're kind of on call or you've kind of got an agreement of how much work you're going to do per period. That, that's basically what a retainer is. Mm -hmm. um, so no doubt you have some kind of customer journey uh, that your clients go through to end up as an ongoing client. Um, do you, do all your clients go straight on to a, re a retainer arrangement? That's hard to say, retainer arrangement. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Um, no. So most people, um, for freelance writing, they do want a consistent voice with all of their content, but they are understandably um, very choosy with who they work with. They want to make sure that you're going to turn the work in on time, which is apparently a very difficult thing for many freelancers to do. So if you manage to turn mm. your work in on time, you are a unicorn. Mm. Yeah, um, it goes a long way. Yeah, it goes a long way and it's so simple. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is they just want to see what, what you're like to work with. So most of my clients, and I want to see what they're like to work with because there's nothing worse than being locked into a retainer with someone who's horrible because yeah, then absolutely. you're stuck with them for six months. Mm -hmm. and it's off they'll make your life hell so being choosy with mm -hmm. your, everyone should be choosy the clients should be choosy freelancers should be choosy um so when people get started i typically do not recommend a retainer immediately what i recommend is we do an a la carte project so in my case i do writing so i say okay you want four blogs a month let's start with one see how it goes and then from there, we can create um, a proper contract mm. for a retainer and then start that way. And most mm -hmm. people are happy to do that. It's very rare that I have someone who is um, so eager to do a retainer that they don't want to do a paid piece because paid pieces um, or a test piece is good for me too. So I like doing them. So that's usually the first step. Um, 95% of the time we do that initial piece and they say, yes, we want to do a retainer. When it doesn't work out, it's usually because I don't want to work with them or it's like, it's a style thing. They say, eh, you know, I don't think your voice or your expertise is quite what we're looking for, but usually it does work out. So it's been a really good way of ensuring I have quality clients who want to work with me for um, an ongoing basis. Um, so when did you work out that that's a good strategy? I, I'm guessing that you didn't uh, have clients on a retainer when you were uh, doing work on Upwork, when you were doing it as mm -hmm. a side hustle. Uh, how yeah, did that... I, um, well, I, I had gone full time and it didn't take me long to realize I was wasting a lot of time pitching. I was like, man, I'm wasting like hours. And I, you know, pitching is not fun. I know some people like it. I'm a marketer and I still hate it. Like, I don't like it. Um, so you get sick of it very quickly. 
And probably two months into doing this full time, I realized that this was not sustainable. So if I wanted to increase my earnings, I had to try something different. And so I continued with the one-off projects to ensure that I still had money coming in. And some of those one-off projects on platforms like Upwork, they would say, hey, we really like what you do. We do want to work together. So some people hmm. you can convert into a retainer. Um, I would approach the client and I would say, I noticed that you want two blogs a month. You know, if you can guarantee that you'll do those two blogs a month, I can slightly decrease the price per piece and we'll get on a retainer. And so, you know, I give them a due date. I'm going to give it to you on, you know, every other Friday of the month. It's, you know, coming your way. You don't have to worry about it. And then it's a little bit cheaper for them. So clients obviously like cheaper content. Um, so offering just a modest discount is a great way to incentivize clients to get onto a retainer if they aren't sure. Sounds good. Uh, one of my uh, best clients ever came from when I was doing a bit of work on people per hour and they stayed with me for about five years. Oh, wow. Um, but how did you personally uh, calculate how much to charge for your retainer? Well, so I have a standard rate that I do for a la carte pieces. So it's 25 cents per word for blogs. Um, things like web copy and emails, those are always a flat fee that I just have to look at the scope to tell someone how mm -hmm. much it is. Um, but just for the sake of example, let's say blogs. So, you know, if it's a $100 blog normally and they're on a retainer, I have to look at the volume, right? So if they only want two $100 blogs a month, that's $200. That's not very much. So because it's such a small quantity, I can't guarantee a very big discount because there's not a lot of work coming my way. And I explain that to my customers. So I say, okay, you're committing to two. So I basically look at my hourly rate. Um, so I look at my uh, the hours I spend working every month and my income, and I use that data to figure out how much I earn per hour. So on average, I earn 80 to $100 an hour. So I look at that and say, okay, how much of this work can I do in an hour? Is it worth it to me financially? Um, and how much of a break can I give these people? And if I'm being completely honest, sometimes the discount depends on how much I like them. Like if they're kind of a pain um, and they are finicky and they're always asking for revisions and, oh, could you add this? And I have to build that into my pricing because I know they're going to be difficult to work with and they're going to take more time out of my day. So if some if a client's like that, I don't give them as good of a discount. But just for sake of example, a $100 piece, maybe I knock it down to 80 or 90. So it's still a good enough discount mm. where it saves them 20 to 40 bucks a month, um, which for my smaller clients, they appreciate. Um, it can be a steeper discount for larger clients. I have some pieces that are $600 normally that I do for 450, just because it's a larger amount of work and the client is easier to work with. So I give them a better discount. So I would say if you're trying to figure out discounting on retainers, make sure you're still profitable. So you need to know how much you need to earn per hour um, to cover your expenses. Don't give them a discount just for the sake of it. Make sure it's 
an intelligent discount. So for example, if you're on a call with a client and you're offering them a retainer, I'm bad at math, so I would never tell someone my retainer price there on the call. I need to sit down with the calculator and make sure I'm telling them the right number because yeah, I need always to look wise at what to my... step back mm -hmm. and you never want to blurt out anything. a number. <laughs> a lot of copywriters and freelancers in general um, can under undercharge for their services. Uh, what would you say are the steps to take to make sure that you're charging or you're able to charge a decent fee that, that the work is worth? Mm -hmm. And that is the age old challenge, right? Mm -hmm. I believe in being very transparent with my pricing with other freelancers. So I'm a member of just some freelancer communities that you can find on you know, Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, don't be afraid to ask people what they charge. In my opinion, if someone is being shady about what they charge, I think that's contributing to the issue where clients don't want to pay a workable, a livable wage for our work because they're used to these really low weight rates. When we all share this information, we can start to understand what a fair market rate is. So mine tends to be in the 25 cent per word range. There are some writers who would say, that's too low. And there are others mm -hmm. that say, that's so expensive. I can't imagine charging that. Um, so sometimes the market will dictate what you can charge fairly. For example, if I charged like a dollar per word for some of my clients, they would say, absolutely not. Other clients would say, absolutely. So it also mm. depends on what your client is willing to pay and you have to tread very carefully with um, how price conscious they are. So it's definitely an art, but it starts with talking to other freelancers. Don't be shy. Um, I would say you're not in competition with them because every freelancer is so different. So I'm a content writer. There are millions of them, but people choose to come with me for a reason. And I refer people to other freelancers who can do the job better than I can. Um, mm. So don't be afraid to share your prices. I promise you it's not a trade secret. So that mm. is the best way to, to charge fairly. Yeah, it comes up a lot that uh, one of the best things you can do is to chat with and network with other people in either in the same industry or just freelancers in general, just to get their take on things. Mm -hmm. So if the listener is doing their own copywriting at the moment uh, f for their business, uh, do you have any general tips on getting the most out of their writing? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, please edit, edit everything you write. Um, I work with some clients who it's just them as the CEO. They write everything and they don't even look at it again. They just put it on the website, um, which is good if you're guilty of perfectionism and you spend too much time looking at things and so some people do that to get over that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to pay for an editor either if you have a small budget. Um, I'm a professional writer and I don't have the budget to pay for an editor. So what I do is I use a couple of free tools um, that plug into Google Docs and plug into your email service provider. So Grammarly is the one I think that all of us talk about. They have a free version. I've tried the premium version and I didn't need it. And I write all day. Mm. So you guys can probably right. get by with just free. Um, okay. It will find typos and it will tell you if your grammar is bad. There is also another tool called WordTune and that is good for uh, copywriting for your website specifically. So if you've written your website and it just feels kind of flat, put it through WordTune and it will 
suggest snappier copy and it will shorten the um, phrases and make them just read better. So mm -hmm. use those free tools to edit your own writing if you can't afford an editor. Mm. Good stuff. Um, is there any more you can say about client retention or do you think we've covered the main points of that? Oh, there's so much we could say about client retention. So the the big fear I had on, on retention was someone leaving because losing your client is mm. the worst thing in the world because a retainer gives you a set amount of money every month that you come to depend on. And that was my first mistake is never depend on anything as a freelancer. Expect the unexpected. Um, so when the pandemic hit, for example, last year, mm -hmm. I lost half of my retainers, right. half of them. You um, were prepared for that. Mm, I was not prepared for that. I, yeah. I actually cried. I did. I confess mm. I cried. That's um, understandable. It was so upsetting. So um, retainer clients, just because you're used to working with them, they will still leave. You can try to ask them to commit to three, six, or 12 month contracts. But even then, there's always gonna be a cancellation clause in there. Legally, you have to let them cancel it. Um, they can still leave. So that's why it's important to still look for new clients mm -hmm. while you have your retainer clients. Don't become so comfortable. The other half of that is you have to work to earn retainer clients business every month. So that also means replying to their emails on time, um, um, honoring due dates, um, being helpful, maybe adding more value to the relationship over time. Right. So an example is I have a client who uh, said, man, we really need to start sourcing images for our content. Do you know where I can source images? And they were just asking me what sites to use. And I said, Wolf, you know, that takes me five minutes. I'll just do it for you. And so to them, I'm saving them probably 20 minutes of research. It, ta right. it, it takes me no time at all. Um, so try to add more value to the retainer client relationship over time. So that way they want to keep working with you, make it mm. as difficult as possible for them to look at their budget and say, Ooh, we need to cut the freelancer out of the budget, make it as difficult as possible for them to cut you out. The more, um, irreplaceable you are, the better. Um, a good sign is to know if like a retainer client wants to offer you a full-time job, that means they love you. It happens to me quite frequently. So you're on the right track if they if they want to work with you so much. Yeah, good advice. I'm sure there's been times when I've, uh, instead of charging for something in particular, I've told the client that they don't really need to pay for that or they, they can save money in this way or that way just for the sake of uh, keeping a, a good relationship with them and being and actually helping them. And I think that's good for trust building too. They're like, mm. oh, Victor isn't trying to nickel and dime me. He must be a good person. And then that's how you get referrals too. That's the other side of retainers is people telling their friends about you and saying, hey, I worked with this agency and they told me to work with you. Um, mm -hmm. That's a great free way to get qualified leads that you don't have to do any work to get other than just being a good freelancer. So, exactly. Yeah, it's karma. <laughs> <laughs> karma, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I understand that you've gained a lot of business through referrals. Would you say that referrals are a, a, a good or a bad strategy? 
it's a double-edged sword. Um, so again, some of my, I think it depends on the referral source, right? So if you have a great high quality client who says, Hey, I have a friend at this other business I work with and they want a writer. And I told them about you. And at first you think, woohoo, you know, free business. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go pitch anybody. I didn't have to do cold emailing. Oh my gosh. It saves so much time, right? Referrals are great. And in many ways, referral leads are already qualified. Um, they're interested. Uh, someone that they know has told them how great you are. So they need a little bit less persuasion as far as signing a contract and working together. So they already trust you. Um, you have to be careful with referrals though, because sometimes people want to be too helpful and mm -hmm. maybe they don't understand that they're a good client, but their friend might not be a good client. Sometimes I get these referrals and they sound great and I get on a call with the referral and personality wise, I would never have chosen to even have a phone call with them because we are so incompatible. Um, you know, they're just kind of deadpan and sometimes they don't even know what they want and it's just really hard to get anything out of them. So mm -hmm. you have to assess the quality of a referral. Um, the quality of the client who refers you is a big one. If that client is unreliable or doesn't respect you or they're difficult to work with and they refer you to someone, that client's probably going to be the same way. So mm. um, you got to be careful when you take those referrals. Some people... Um, will do referral fees is like finders fees. I personally right. don't do those mm -hmm. um, because I think it incentivizes people to send every lead they can yeah, find. Anybody they can get. Yeah, anybody. And so some of these uh, phone calls I've been on, um, frankly, they are a waste of time. So I would not offer a finders fee for that reason. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great idea, but it doesn't work out in practice. So with referrals, you know, some of my best clients have been referrals, but I would say don't take every single one that comes your way. Be very skeptical about them. Vet the referral before you even hop on a call with them. Look at their website. Um, see if they have a YouTube channel. It's really helpful to see how they speak, their personality. Um, sometimes I can eliminate someone just based on that. Um, mm -hmm. Look them up before you talk mm -hmm. to them because you don't want to mm -hmm. be on an hour long call with someone who is just not a good fit, you know? And even then, I suppose if they, if you've vetted them and they seem okay, you've still got to give it a trial run first, just to be sure, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. I, I think almost all of my projects start with a trial. Um, oh, and you know what, if any other freelance writers are here, stop doing free work. Don't do an unpaid, <laughs> unpaid trial test. Oh, it's only 200 words. It's only 400 words. Don't do it. You're undervaluing yourself. You're undervaluing every other freelancer's work. And guess what? Some businesses will approach you for an unpaid test piece. You'll hand it over and you'll never hear from them again. It is unfortunately a scam that some businesses use to steal from you. They're stealing from you. Um, yeah. even a short 200 test piece. I spent an hour on that. 
because mm -hmm. I still have to do research. I still have to learn about the client. I spend a lot of work on this. Um, so please don't do that. Don't do free work. You don't work for free. Um, exposure doesn't pay the bills. I've had big name publications, big ones that if my name were on it, it would be a big deal. Uh, want mm -hmm. to do unpaid test pieces and I always refuse them. That's the good. best way to say it is when a client says, oh, you don't mind doing an unpaid piece, right? And I say, you know what? I'm not able to work um, for free or take on unpaid projects, but I can offer a 400 word piece for you know, 80 bucks or whatever you charge. You can charge maybe a more modest fee or reduce the scope, but don't, don't work for free guys. It's not worth it. I promise. Like it's not a good client. <laughs> don't do it. Damn good advice. <laughs> so there's one more question, but first, uh, what's the main place where people can find out more or contact you? That sort sure. of thing. Yeah. Um, I am at kenziewrites.com or you guys can just follow me on LinkedIn. I like to share tips about freelancing, solopreneurship and entrepreneurship. So check me out there. So you've got a YouTube channel too. Yes, I have a YouTube channel, but I would like to rework it. But yes, mm, people can okay. follow me there as well. And here's the question I ask every guest. What's the one most important thing to do or be for freelancing success? What's the most important thing? In my experience, it has been working through fear. So sometimes uh, you're dealing with a really big potential project. I had a $10,000 project come into my lap one day and I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And you kind of freak out because you think, I'm not worth that. Like, Who's gonna pay that for, for my work? You start to talk down to yourself and you, you try to diminish your worth. And uh, it's scary. And so it's tempting to just not deal with it because it's scary. Um, it was scary learning how to incorporate my business here in the United States as an LLC. It was scary um, hiring my first virtual assistant. It was scary trying to dump a client who wasn't working with me, you know, who I didn't like working with. Um, you're going to have scary stuff happen to you all the time. And what I have learned is that it's totally fine to not feel confident. It's fine to feel scared. Just put a blanket over your head while you're typing mm -hmm. the emails. I do that mm -hmm. quite literally. <laughs> Could I, work, a, yeah. I hide under a blanket if I'm scared um, and do it anyway. And I, I have a quote on my, my wall right now. It says, courage is knowing what not to fear. And, you know, unless a mountain lion is chasing you, there's really no, you don't need to be scared of running your business. So. It's okay to feel afraid, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us, Kenzie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Victor. I had a good time.